welcome 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 it is time it is here this month's installment of chilling with jr and blair i am blair joined by the one and only jr jr how's it going good man merry christmas merry christmas to you happy holidays to everybody who's listening i'm pumped i'm pumped for this episode Hell yeah, there's so much to talk about. Like, if we didn't have time constraints, this could easily be like a three and a half hour episode just with how much has gone on. And I mean, we we may as well jump right into the swing of things. I mean, <clears throat> December was pretty action-packed. I mean, November capped off with the the return of CM Punk to WWE at Survivor Series. So December, we've been seeing him pop up everywhere on, you know, on Raw and SmackDown, even on NXT. And I mean, overall, I mean, we, we touched on what this could mean to him showing up in WWE and also the alternative of what this could mean to AEW. But what are your thoughts so far with CM Punk in WWE? Yeah, that's the the kind of the what it could mean for AEW is is what was the most interesting to me and of course we're an AEW focused podcast and so we did an entire episode our our second episode of this show was dedicated to that breaking news of CM Punk jumping over and so if you haven't listened to it i think it's still uh relevant to listen to to go back and we just kind of broke down what it could mean and in the initial aftermath to it and so CM Punk isn't in AEW, but I wanted us to be able to have a chance mm-hmm. to kind of address it. And one of the things that we talked about in our last episode was my initial thought, and I think both of ours, was that from a perception angle, this could hurt AEW in some way, that you have your biggest star who's now jumping over to the biggest wrestling promotion that is kind of on fire and that they had a chance to bring in some AEW fans who to, to the WWE product who had maybe not checked in in a while. Mm-hmm. And based on what I've seen, I don't know how much you've seen of his WWE stuff so far. I, I've seen his initial Raw promo. I saw the SmackDown promo after that. And then I think his most recent Raw promo where he did a face-to-face with Seth Rollins. So those are the things that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but t- to me, there's... And again, viewing it through the lens of someone who is an AEW fan and who is a CM Punk fan and doesn't check out the WWE product with any kind of regularity, I cannot imagine someone checking out CM Punk who is like me and has those qualifications of seeing what they've done with him so far and being like, yeah, I'm going to stick around to watch more of this. Um, even for me, the stuff that I saw, like by the time I was, you know, the second and third promo segments that I saw from him, I was really only doing it out of like homework for, for this podcast. <laughs> like uh, after that first promo, especially, and I have some thoughts. I want to give you the floor here uh, first, but I have some pretty strong opinions on what he's done so far there, but just kind of my big takeaway and kind of one of our initial impressions after him jumping after survivor series was like, this could hurt AW in some way and could steal some fans away. I just, based on what I've seen so far, um, WWE fans seem to be liking it mm-hmm. from kind of a AEW fan part of me and seeing what he's done so far. I can't really fathom that someone could be watching this version of CM Punk if you were a fan of his in AEW and saying like, I want more of this. Like, I think this is the epitome of WWE showing that nobody is bigger than the product because you could have yeah. easily had CM Punk show up there 
and just start going off. And, you know, I know that there's, I think, a lifetime NDA about the whole situation um, with uh, Tony Khan AEW. So, like, okay, understandable. But, like, I'm sure he could still find a way to share his thoughts and feelings. But this, like, the way they presented Punk is definitely a very corporate um, showing they're not going to allow yes. him to appear bigger than the product. If you're going to work here, you are going to fit into the machine. And I do think that they have a plan with him with how he's doing this. Like they're going to do, they're going to run his gimmick, how they want it done. I think that yes. he's, he's not going to be allowed to have as the full input that he wants into how he wants to portray himself. They're going to say like, okay, you can do this, but this is how we want to present you. Like, okay, you're going to be an anti-authority figure. That's fine. We're going to build it up how we want it done. We'll get you there, but it's going to be under the WWE banner. That's how I've taken the initial, like the, the promos his showing up on all the, all the programming, the, the NXT promo was, I, I watched that and I, I'm still left wondering what the point of it was. I was having <laughs> him show up. Like, Hey, he might be here. Oh, he's wearing a Bret Hart hoodie. Awesome towards the end of your <laughs> AEW run as much as you may have loved Bret Hart you were more Shawn Michaels than you were Bret Hart let's call it how it is so overall I mean it's very WWE how they his run so far and will they make it work uh, they will make it work how they want it to work I think that's the best way to put his run so far I think you nailed it it's very much like and getting back to what I said before, this the way that they're framing Punk is putting him as like making him part of, and I'm using this phrase like purposely, like part of the WWE universe. Mm-hmm. It's like we're making him fit into our presentation. Yeah. And the whole appeal of CM Punk, if you're like we're a fan of his, like like I am, or, or others too, was that he was symbolic of anti-WWE as being rebellious against it and I thought his opening promo after the Survivor Series on Raw was so inauthentic and disingenuous and that that contrasts with everything that he's kind of presented himself um, as up to this point he's saying I've changed um, I'm home there were no shots at AEW there was no bite to his promo and you can compare that to and I saw other people doing it too and I thought it was a really smart way to frame it of like compare his raw promo after Survivor Series to his debut Rampage promo, you know, at the first dance back in 2021 and just night and day difference. Mm -hmm. And the way that he's being presented is the antithesis of what like a punk fan would want him to be like. And there's really only two options with how to evaluate him, in, in my opinion. Either he's lying now about what he's saying, all these pro WWE things, you know, putting over Shawn Michaels, taking the mark pick with Triple H, yeah. um, you know, saying, you know, pandering to the WWE audience and saying I'm home and, you know, this is the place to be and blah, blah. He's either lying now or he was lying before, right? Because this is now, you know, this is a company that fired him on his wedding day, who got into a lawsuit with him, who he has said, you know, previously was a place that was so bad for his physical and mental health that he had to leave, Um, and now, you know, he's saying the opposite of all those things. So either he's lying now or he was lying before and he just comes off as like a disingenuous fraud, Mm -hmm. frankly. And like for someone whose entire kind of appeal 
has been that he speaks truth to power and that he's this authentic representation of, you know, punk rock and rebellion and all this stuff. It's like, he's, this is PG punk. And, you know, he's very much designed in this way. Like you said, it feels like they've kind of glossed him in the WWE phoniness and plastic of just their overall presentation of how they do wrestling. And I couldn't believe, and, and, you know, we don't have to belabor the punk stuff because we did a whole episode about him before, but I did want to also just touch on, because I saw so much praise for his most recent segment with Seth freaking Rollins. Yeah. Uh, I know like Brian Alvarez saying it was an incredible, incredible pro or an incredible promo and like other people too. And I'm just like the, the first half of that segment was <laughs> the basis of it was what brand is CM Punk going to sign with, which on at its foundational level is just bullshit. Like of, of course they've signed him to a contract and this is all like bullshit. Like, uh, you know, he, he was like, oh, I went to SmackDown and Nick Aldis presented me with this great contract package. And then I went to NXT and I could think about molding the future with Shawn Michaels and NXT, <laughs> which with how many you know pictures of young women that he's taken, uh, I can see why he uh, maybe would want to end up down there. But, uh, you know, the whole thing was like, well, what, do, what does it even matter anyway? Like the brand split is bullshit. Like they, these guys can appear on whatever show that they want. So. Um, and then he says, you know, the best offer was from Adam Pierce on Monday Night Raw. So I'm on Monday Night Raw. I'm like, why? Why does it fucking matter in any like, why does it matter what show he's on? The mm-hmm. brand split doesn't matter. And if you're a WWE fan, you can just watch him on whichever one. Like, so anyway, the first half of that whole segment was just classic WWE brand bullshit that I can't possibly imagine what anyone could how anyone could care. And they did the same story with Randy Orton, who also returned at Survivor Series the week before. So it was just the same thing. And then the second half was the face-to-face and back and forth with Seth Rollins, who, and I and I saw people saying, you know, this is the best promo he's ever done. And I'm like, well, that's faint praise because the promo was okay. But if that's the best promo that he's ever done, then he's just a bad promo. It was, you know, a lesser version of the same, you know, you don't belong here story that Eddie Kingston did in AEW and Hangman did um in AEW with punk and i i mean it's a story that works so i'm i don't begrudge them for doing that story but it came off as very much a lesser version a less intriguing and a more just overall disingenuous version of it for all the reasons that i already said than you know than the same story that he already did in AEW with a bunch of other guys so i when i saw the just effusive praise for that segment it really did make me realize that like this version of the WWE product, if this is like the best of it and, and other people are, you know, who watch it every week are saying like, oh, this is awesome. Then it was just, it's kind of like solidified to me that I just can't envision a scenario where WWE is going to be for me. Because if someone was going to do it, like Punk, Punk is probably the guy that could have done it. Or like, you know, maybe if the elite hadn't resigned and they jumped over, like I would have been intrigued enough to see like, you know, what's their first program going to be in their opening promos. And they would have brought me in too. But like, if this is the best that you got, it ain't for me. Mm-hmm. Well, not to venture too, too far off of punk, because I mean, we, we had the full episode, like you mentioned, and, you know, like being able to touch on what he's been able to do now, but the, January is going to be a big month when you look at the grand scheme of things because i mean it kicks off with wrestle kingdom and i know this is an aw centric podcast but this has a lot of potential to be aw related because i mean wrestle kingdom kicks off 
start of the month, you have Okada versus Danielson. Okada showing up in TNA two weeks later because he's in town for the um, New Japan pay-per-view down in San Jose. So, you know, okay, TNA is going to be recording their TV tape. He's going to be there. But then his contract's up at the end of the month. And I mean, in no way, shape, or form do I think TNA has any potential to sign Okada because, I mean... They're pushing that they have a big signing. Well, if it was going to be Okada, they wouldn't have announced him for the TV tapings that were middle of the month. So that leads to main players for Okada. Well, I guess three. You have New Japan. He could stick around. You have WWE and you have AEW. Now, if I'm asking JR, you have 20 bucks. Where are you putting your money down for Okada to sign? <laughs> where are you picking? Well, it's funny that you say that because I actually have uh, bet money on this. I don't know if you, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if you actually know that already because I also have the betting odds for this, which I will share. Um, but yeah, if you just before we go on, so we're, we're moving on from Punk here, but this is this is going to be very much if you are into transactions and rumors and free agency, this is going to be the episode for you because we're going to be talking about Okada so here, much. Mercedes, uh, Cody Rhodes, Drew McIntyre, um, uh, some others too, like. We're, we're heading deep into the um, this is contract season for wrestling, right? Like this is one of the most exciting times of the year to just even the rumors and speculation about, oh, this guy's contract is coming up now and, and all this stuff. So I, as you know, and I, if you, people who have listened to the other episodes, like this is right up my alley, like this is my shit. So getting back to your question. So uh, bet online actually has the odds for um, where will Okada sign next? So right now the favorite is new Japan. They're minus 200. Um, and then AEW and WWE are both plus 200, meaning that you can double your money if you bet on them and he signs with one of those companies. So I know you at, you said 20 bucks. I've actually spent uh, $25 okay. and I made a $25 bet on uh, him signing with AEW. Mm-hmm. And I think not that it, I even, I mean, I want it to happen monetarily now, but I do think that the best case scenario is that he re-signs in New Japan. And I do think that if if there's too much talent drain from New Japan, I think that's probably bad for the industry overall. Yeah. And Okada is the biggest star that they have. And I think that there would be some... It would just be not a great look for New Japan. Um, and you'd still get to see him the handful of times a year that we do in, in AEW if he was able to do that. So I think that's probably the best case scenario. The disaster scenario for me anyway, for all the reasons that I mentioned with Punk previously, is that he goes to WWE and I'll probably never watch his matches or we'll just watch like maybe the first one and it'll be some kind of bullshit version of Okada that um, you just end up being if you sign in WWE. So now I will say too, um, this has the chance to be like one of the biggest stories of the year, right? If he actually does this jump to a North American promotion where he will be full time, there has there's not really precedence for that from New Japan in, in terms of someone jumping to North America. Like we've had Omega, obviously, and AJ Styles and, and Jay White and Will Ospreay more recently and Nakamura had before to WWE, but those even if you could have maybe made an argument, I mean, you couldn't have really made an argument that any of those guys were the tippy top guys in the promotion because they were there at the same time that Tanahashi and Okada and Naito were. So it's never, it's never been the top, you know, uh, Japanese talent, you know, jumping. It's just never happened before. No. And so if it does, that's a, a huge, 
a huge story. Or this could just end up being he resigns in New Japan, um, and then that it's not much of a story. But I will say too, um, and I have it loaded up here. Um, a couple of weeks ago, what's the exact date? So December seventeenth, um, the Super J Cast. I don't know if you've ever heard those guys yeah. before, but they're uh, a New Japan uh, podcast on the Voices of Wrestling Network. And they tweeted out, now again, of course, this is the vague tweeting, um, eyeball, uh, emoji bullshit type of tweets that you say when you know something, but you can't just come out right out and say it. But they said, it appears the bloom may be off the rose for Okada in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Mm -hmm. Now, when I first saw that, so bloom is capitalized. Um, and so when I first saw that, I thought that was a reference to Matt Bloom, who is the head trainer at um, the Performance Center. And so what I thought, I was like, oh, are they hinting that he's, this is his, their way of saying Bloom being off the rose, of course, is a metaphor for him being upset, but Bloom also being a reference to Matt Bloom, the head coach and think, oh, is he going to go to WWE? Mm -hmm. It's subsequently came out again, that's comes from the vague bullshit tweets yeah. of that. It's actually a reference to Barry Bloom, who we talked about in our first episode, because Barry Bloom is the agent for Will Ospreay and Chris Jericho and the elite and Jim Ross, and I think AJ Styles and the Good Brothers too. Um, so if <laughs> so, this is if this is so, anyway, what a drop off on talent from the guys <laughs> yeah. you just named Jericho, the elite, AJ, and the MC. <laughs> hey, everybody needs everybody needs representation, Blair. Come on. <laughs> So it came out, so uh, Sean Rossop of Fightful came out a, a follow-up tweet that day that said, the Barry Bloom Okada rumors are nowhere near official. However, it wouldn't surprise me to see them come to fruition. Anyway, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because if it is true that Okada has hired Barry Bloom, um, who's based out of North America, by the way, to be his agent, in the same way that when we were talking about Will Ospreay during our first episode when we were previewing Full Gear, ahead of those rumors about which is the main star who's going to sign at, at full gear. And it ended up being Osprey that if he is signing Barry Bloom, that means that he's going for the money, which mm -hmm. all the power in the world to him, I would oh, be yeah. doing it too. But that means that, I mean, new Japan has money. Bushiroad has money. Are they willing to pony up WWE or AEW big star money? When we're talking about multi millions of dollars a year to keep this guy. And that's where I would say I don't, they just might not have the money to keep him in-house. And if he's getting Barry Bloom, and, and again, that has not been confirmed um, from what I've seen in any follow-up reporting. But if it's true, that changes the whole dynamic. And New Japan being the minus 200 favorites, that if if he actually hires Barry Bloom as an agent, then I don't think they should be the, the favorites to sign him. I think he's probably signing somewhere else. What What do you think? Like kind of what reading the tea leaves or just based on your gut, do you have a sense of where he might end up or even do you have a preference of, of where he ends up after hearing the, like reading that tweet with the, the bloom is off the rose. Uh, uh, one that you had mentioned, like I originally thought Barry bloom, like that was my first go-to like, okay, then new Japan must be out. And I mean, I do think that we see, um, almost like, uh, a joint contract, so to say, like where he's going to be appearing in AEW, but then also sort of like Osprey, where he'll be in AEW, but he'll may also show up at those big New Japan shows. So, like, right, maybe they'll have permission to still use him for stuff like that. Because, I mean, I'm sure he does not want to pack up his entire life and move stateside. His wife is very successful over there. I mean, money 
it's not a huge, huge deal to that family because I think they're if I'm not mistaken, she makes very good money. Um, but I mean, by all means, like chase that bag, get paid. So if it's going to be AEW that offers you the most, by all means, because I'm sure that even if he signs, he's still going to be able to live in Japan. Just come over whenever they need him because, okay, hey, you're working Wednesday nights. No problem. That's it. You can fly in a day before, fly back right after you're done. Good to go. Um, I do not foresee a, a scenario where he does sign with WWE. I think that he is smarter than that. And besides Nakamura, I mean, realistically, who are the best uh, best names that they've portrayed well after signing them from New Japan? Um, they They don't have the best track record for it. And even Nakamura took a while. I mean, he was floundering there for quite a while. He had a great NXT run champion for a bit but coming up i mean yeah he had that you know pack of matches with aj styles around wrestlemania a few years back but they they it, it didn't do him any favors to put him in that upper echelon of main event status with wwe so if that is something that plays a factor in his decision making i don't see him coming to wwe i you look at the aw roster he has a lot of friends there a lot of people that he's worked well with and I mean, the connection of Barry Bloom also as agent and who he represents before. I mean, I could definitely see Okada showing up in AEW. That's my pick. I, if I was a betting man, if I was taking those bet online odds, I'm taking Okada to AEW. I'm I'm pretty much with you with everything that you said, including you, you mentioned some things that I had planned uh, to say, too. So we're we're very much in sync here. And I don't think getting back to one of the things you mentioned before, I don't think it's a coincidence that. WWE has uh, heated up Nakamura recently and are putting him in a big program to Cody. I feel like that's their way of saying, like, hey, look, I know that we've totally fumbled this up till now, but look, he's he's wrestling our biggest star. And um, so I, I I think that's part of their recruitment pitch to him is that, well, look what we're doing with Nakamura now. A little too little too late, I, I think. But in the same way that you know, when Will Ospreay was negotiating, he obviously they were doing it publicly, but he he did some pretty smart public things too, um, including there was a Sports Illustrated article where he had said that, you know, I'm willing to move to the United States for whoever is going to sign me next. But the ace in the hole that AEW had in those negotiations, and there was precedent for this with PAC too, because PAC is still um, living, um, I, I think he lives in England or somewhere, but they fly him in. Um, and so the ace in the hole for the negotiations for Tony Khan and AEW was that, Will, we'll sign you and you can still be based at home and you don't have to move here and we'll bring you in um, and fly you in for these shows. And to me, I feel like that would be a deal breaker for WWE with Okada where they would want him to, you know, to move here. Whereas, as you say, Tony Khan is going to say, no, you can still be based out of Japan, like longer travel than it is from Europe for yeah. Osprey or, um, or PAC. But I I'm with you. You know, I feel like, you know, in getting back to the money thing, like all the big players, and it's one of the main ways that AEW has changed the entire wrestling ecosystem in North America, but now the world too, is that these guys are making more money than they ever have before. Top guys and even guys lower down on the roster. And Okada deserves to get in on this. Like mm -hmm. he's the top guy in the business. If, you know, Cody Rhodes and Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens and Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and all these guys, John Moxley, like, they're all getting paid. Okada deserves to get paid too. He's one of the best wrestlers in the world. And if I'm him, I want to get in on that action. And I think that if you're Tony Khan and in your new Japan, 
that you are incentivized not just to keep him in like within your you know home teams but you're wanting to keep him away from wwe too like you're in a wrestling war right now apparently wwe was very pissed off that AEW got will osprey um even some rumblings that part of them bringing in punk was at least a response to that and so like these guys are going shot for shot for these big free agents and we'll talk about more of them here in just a few minutes but I can very much see a scenario where Tony Khan, as you say, comes up with some kind of creative deal where maybe they have priority on dates, but that he's still based out of Japan. He can still work big new Japan shows and you kind of get the best of both worlds. Okada keeps like part of the appeal of bringing in Okada on these AEW shows up to this point is that it's new Japan's Okada that's coming over. And it's mm-hmm. that it's this interpromotional thing. And I do think that there's some level of, the uniqueness of having Okada just lessen somewhat if he's AEW's only Okada, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's the new Japan and AEW dynamic that is what kind of makes it special. And so I just think that I'm with you that I think there'll be, there's some kind of creative way where Okada can get his millions, especially from like the con side and maybe AEW has priority, but that it's some kind of dual contract or something where we keep him away from WWE we get to use him a bit more in AEW, but he also stays in the New Japan, New Japan uh, framework. He yeah. gets to stay home. We get to use him more. He gets paid more. It works. It's kind of like a win-win for everybody. Um, and to me, if I'm Tony Khan, it's worth the multi-million dollar investment to get to use Okada a little bit more while also keeping him in the New Japan world and keeping him away from WWE. Because now again, that that's that's very much like me coping and hoping yeah. because I don't I don't want him to go to WWE at all. No. But like I feel like there's a realistic way to make it work um, for all the reasons that you said and and that I mentioned too. You could easily sign him to a contract and have him featured on all of the big pay per views. You know, because uh, they're still what do they have now? They have Revolution, Double or Nothing, Full Gear um all in all out world's end so that's six pay-per-views you could have him on each of those pay-per-views bring him in for the two weeks or three weeks leading up to those pay-per-views just to set up a feud and then he could be based out of japan for the rest of it and they're pretty much i mean they're essentially doing that with abushi right like there are there are reports now and maybe he's going to be the mystery partner for chris jericho we'll talk about world's end here in a little bit but like they're clearly bringing him in for these big pay-per-view shows. He was on Wrestle Dream. Um, he was on All In. Obviously, um, they had they brought him in for that Dynamite uh, eight-man tag too. So like, I would hope that they would use Akata maybe a little bit more than they're using Ibushi. And I wonder if maybe just the way that Ibushi hasn't looked that great is maybe why they're not using him quite as much. But like, there's a kind of a workable formula there, right? Of like, he's he's had the All Elite graphic. They're paying him. I'm sure. It's a it's got some kind of salary full time deal, even though they're only using him, you know, once in a while. So there's your framework already. They essentially have a contract and a talent that they're using in kind of the same way that they could use Okada. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll we'll carry on because there are other free agents potential signings, and I mean, um, Sean Ross uh, saw uh, Sean Ross Sap, Sean Ross. Uh, Sean Ross Sepp. Okay. Um, he, you got it. The last one, you nailed it. Oh, um, he had <laughs> like, I, I signed up for Fightful. I mean, it's it's five bucks. The amount of updates you get, why not? You know, it's I've spent a lot worse for $5 a month. But um, this past week, we got news that Bailey had re-signed. We got news that Charlotte Flair had re-signed. 
Now, the big question mark is what's the deal with Mercedes Monet, Sasha Banks, because she's still a free agent. She could go to AEW. She could stay wrestling New Japan. She could jump back to WWE because they're reassigning all of her friends. So, I mean, you had uh, in our little sheet rundown, you mentioned, you know, Fightful reporting that the working plans with AEW are off. So that's done right now. Is there still room for her to go there? Of course. But I I don't know if I ever see her stepping foot in an AEW arena. And there's going to be so many people who will criticize them, especially with having her show up at All In, having her, you know, in the press box or whatever. You know what? I, if anything, I don't hate that. I think it's something that like, yeah, you should be showing big name wrestlers that show up to your events. You should, should be showing any celebrity. If it's a movie star or whatever it may be, like show it as a thing that like, hey, people are coming here to see this. So would I love to see her in AEW? Of course. But with how I feel, like say with thinking Okada will sign with AEW, I have zero thought that Mercedes Monet will step foot in AEW ring. I think she will go back to WWE as soon as the money is right. That seems to be the way that the wind is blowing. And I'm with you with the all in stuff. It's something I wanted to mention too, because I saw it was from some blue check mark bullshit engagement account that said, you know, and I quote tweeted it, which I should do less of, but <laughs> it's one of my guilty pleasures. But it was, I don't even know the name of the account, but it was like, you know, it, this would be embarrassing for AEW if, if she signs with WWE after they put her on screen at all in. And it's like, they didn't promise anything there. It was like 10 seconds of airtime. As you said, they framed it as here's a big star who's checking out the biggest wrestling event in history. It wasn't, you know, check out Dynamite this week where we will follow up with, you know, she's signing with us. There's no promises, no guarantees. It was just here's a big star um, at a big event. It was like a cool moment. Um, but it was in in no way could any reasonable person frame that as some kind of embarrassment if she ends up going back to WWE. They haven't promised anything. And the reason why I put this on the our agenda is because, as you mentioned, so this week, Fightful said that the working plans for AEW are off between Mercedes and AEW. And so Fightful had continuously since, um, uh, well, actually, let me let me go through a timeline here. So um, if you remember back in January of this year, January 11th, Dynamite, it was in the Kia Forum in Los Angeles. And if you remember, actually, the previous, it was around this time last year, actually a little bit before, that they had set up. Uh, a tag team match with Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker mm -hmm. against Soraya and a mystery partner for LA. And so me, and I think you got in on it and some of our, you know, wrestling Twitter buddies, as I think most people were, and even Will Washington, who now works for AEW fan, the flames on this too, but everybody kind of knew at that point, that Mercedes was going to be at wrestle kingdom on January 4th, that she was going to be a free agent then. January 11th was the dynamite that they were teasing this mystery for. Everybody was putting the pieces together of like, this is going to be Mercedes. And, and I think they yeah. wanted you to that. And I think that was what was going to happen. But then it, whatever negotiations fell through, it ended up being Tony storm that filled that spot. Um, eventually she signs the limited dates deal with new Japan. She works wrestle kingdom. She works a show in San Jose. Um, she works, uh, I think a stardom show. Um, but even fightful select reported. So remember that, um, uh, Mercedes got injured in the match with Willow. Um, yes. Remember, and they, and they changed the finish? Yeah. And so Willow became the champion. But Fightful Select, in the follow-up to that, reported that there were plans 
for Mercedes to be at Forbidden Door in June. And she was now this is not the match I would have booked, but it was supposed to be Mercedes against Soraya at Forbidden Door for the end uh New Japan Strong Women's Championship. If she hadn't got injured in the match with Willow, that was gonna happen. So we had the tease in January. We had what was the working plan for June, which was the match with Soraya that would have happened if she hadn't got injured. Then she appears at all in on the screen. Um, so, and then Fightful had reported that there are, once the ankle injury heals up, the, they have made some kind of handshake or verbal commitment that she's going to come into AEW. But this past week is when that changed. And, and so Sean Rossop had reported like those working plans are off and that she's now asking for more money than Charlotte Flair just got on her recent extension with WWE, which as uh, is going to be kind of our, I think our motto, like go for it, like ask for, uh, get that bag, baby. Um, so I think she's a bigger star than Charlotte Flair. I think she deserves more and should get more. Um, but I, 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 like you say, I, I think, and just kind of based on the tone of the reporting, it does seem like, I mean, if the working plans are off now, it could just be because now that she's, now she's actually ready to go. Those kind of verbal promises that we made. Well, those were all hypothetical before when I wasn't healthy. Now I'm healthy. I've also heard, you know, and I'm pretending as if I'm Mercedes here, but now I've heard that Charlotte has signed this huge extension. Becky's going to be a free agent. in I think June of next year was also reported, like probably the amount of money that she was going to agree to in June for forbidden door or whatever else, like the asking price has gone up because the price is up now because other people are signing for more. So I'm not maybe as totally um, completely off the AEW train as you, Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm still hoping for it. And I think ultimately she's going to go where the money is. Um, but I think WWE and triple H especially would view it as a pretty big coup if they could bring her in, mm-hmm. bring her back. Um, remember the whole reason why she left WWE in the first place was over creative differences with Vince McMahon, specifically over the use of the women's tag team championships. Vince seems like he's out of the creative now. I think she has a good relationship with triple H. Um, TKO is throwing some big money around and we'll talk about, that they're trying to throw big money around at Cody Rhodes here next. So I think like you, I would say the betting favorite is she probably goes back to WWE. I would be disappointed in that for all the, the teases and, you know, of potentially coming to AEW. If Tony Khan has the highest uh, offer, I think that's where she goes. But I, I like you, I think the winds are probably blowing towards WWE um, at this point. Yeah. Like the, the last thing I'm going to say about the um, all in thing it... It was at Wembley Stadium. It's not like it was at the, you know, KFC Yum Center in like <laughs> somewhere in Milwaukee. It's, you know, it's a big venue. It was a massive deal. So, I mean, yeah, would it have been great that she, she shows up and wrestles a match? Of course. But like, it's not an embarrassment. Come on. But yeah, you mentioned Cody Rhodes. The two days ago, I think it was the the rumor that he was going to be looking into signing a new contract. And my favorite and yours, Big Daddy, Dave Meltzer, I mean, he mentioned yesterday that uh, Cody signed a new contract in October, apparently. So that takes one more name off of the potential free agent list. He's going to stick around, finish writing his story. Yes. Now, now, wait, there is there's an addendum to that. Yes. Okay. So the, the, the initial report was from Fightful that said the TKO has made signing Cody Rhodes to an extension of top priority, which would indicate then that he had only signed maybe a two or three year deal um, when he signed with WWE. 
And so, as you said, yes. So yesterday, I think it was, or two days ago, Dave Meltzer followed up that report by saying he actually signed in October. Yes. But then as a follow-up to that, Fightful said that um, WWE offered him the contract in October, but that he didn't sign it. So I think, so it seems like we're in a bit of a scoops battle here between Big Dave and uh, Fightful. Um, Dave, come on. So, (laughs) so I'm in this particular instance, um, even though uh, Dave is my guy and I think Sean Rossap is annoying, um, <laughs> I'm going to side with uh, Sean Rossap on this one because to me, the, the the most the biggest jump that can happen in wrestling to me and the one that would get me most excited is Cody Rhodes jumping back to AEW. Oh, I would love I, that. It, it would be incredible. Um, and just the, the fact that it would be start in AEW, jumps to WWE, in, in all respect to you know, how WWE has booked him so far. I haven't really seen it, but there's no question that he's a bigger star now than he was when he jumped from AEW, right? Like yeah. he's, he's you know, probably the biggest star that they have in the biggest company in the world. And then for him to jo- go back to where he came from originally and just all the new stories and just him as this bigger star than he was before, like it would be, it is the jump that I would be most excited for. And I think it's a realistic possibility, although... As you bring up here, Dave kind of thrown some water on that. Um, if if his report is to believe, um, to be believed, um, if he come if he came back to AEW, he'd be the biggest star that they have, um, I think anyway. And 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 we'll talk about Sting's retirement as a follow up to when we talked about it in the last episode too. Yeah. But they're lose they're losing Sting in March. They're losing Brian Danielson at some point um, around All In. And and again, we're going to talk about our AEW Wrestler of the Year and some of our favorite matches. But a, uh, Brian Daniels, uh, Brian Danielson has been. I mean, how, you couldn't, you can't exaggerate how important he's been to AEW programming since he came back um, at All Out in um, in September, and that's a huge loss. And if you could, and I think it'd be the coup of coups if you could bring Cody Rhodes back to AEW and would help fill in some of the lost, you know, star power that they're going to suffer in 2024. Will Ospreay will help. Maybe Okada will help if he ends up there, but man, holy shit. If you could bring Cody Rhodes back and uh, that would be incredible. Uh, I I do. I do think betting and now there, I don't have betting uh, (laughs) to uh, share on this one. Sorry, but I do think he probably resigns with WWE, but fuck, I, I want him back home in AEW so bad. Let me set the scenario for you. Like, say yes. his contract's up at the end of the year. At Revolution this year, they do a face of the Revolution ladder match with former TNT champions with the winner getting a TNT title shot. And Cody Rhodes makes his return. Do you know how much I would pop if that happened? Because... I loved Cody's run as TNT champion. I thought he was fantastic. His feud with Sammy Guevara was great. I know people hate on Sammy, but that was some great shit. The match with Andrade was fantastic. That was some of Andrade's best work. Everything that Cody did when he was champion was great. The feud with Brody Lee was incredible. Like that was great when put he put over Darby. Up, yeah, put over Darby when he showed up as like the Black Parade Cody with the dyed hair which lasted two weeks. I even love that. Like uh, his AEW stuff is top notch. I would mark out so hard if he showed back up. Like that is what I could not ask. That would be my 2024 wish for Cody Rhodes to show up back in AEW. 
I want it so bad. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's no. my dream scenario. And even too, like, and I, I'm with you on the TNT stuff. He, he, he was the first TNT champion. I thought he put it on the map. And that was, of course, at a time where they didn't have a million other championships too, but he really put a stamp on that. And for all the reasons that you mentioned and all the different uh, guys that he worked with, to me, I would bring him back and put him in the world title program. Um, and I know he has that previous stipulation from his match with Jericho at the first full year. But to me, there's a way that you could frame it as this is a new contract. So any kind of previous stipulations are, are voided. And now Cody, and even I think part of the, and again, this is me like kind of coping a bit and, and playing some <laughs> mental gymnastics. But part of what I'm thinking is that TKO and WWE are pushing so hard to re-sign Cody now is because I'm anticipating that they're going to have him lose at WrestleMania again. And I think they're going to try to extend Roman's title reign. And what I'm thinking that they're thinking is if we go through with that and ha and make Cody lose again at WrestleMania, which I think is what they're going to do, then what are the odds that Cody is like, fuck this shit um, after that finish and the potential too of punk is there now. I think some of the reason that Cody jumped from AEW to WWE is not because of animosity with punk, but that he's kind of saw where he was in the pecking order with Tony Khan. Yep. And if he kind of gets the sense of like, Punk is encroaching on my territory and I'm losing this big in this big spot again. So part of why I think, you know, WWE is really jumping on this extension talk is we want to lock him down now because we have some plans, some things that he might not love coming up in a couple of months. And anyway, uh, if he jumps call. back, That's if he call. jumps back to AEW, I put him in the world title program and say, this is a new contract. The previous, you know, stipulation about he can never, you know, a uh, challenge for the world title again. Well, that was part of the previous contract that he had with us. Then he left as a free agent. He's back, new terms and conditions. This is the biggest star in the world. He's coming home. He was, he, you know, there was no, there was no one as symbolic with AEW as Cody Rhodes was for the first couple of years of that promotion. He was the front facing guy doing all the media, you know, him in the box and, and Kenny being the elite and doing all that stuff. Like, I think they've really kind of missed his just kind of public presence and, you know, he's so good with the, with the media. He works so hard, like all the live event stuff that he does with WWE. He was doing that kind of stuff with AEW before. Like, I think it'd be such a shot in the arm for AEW. Again, this is like dreaming, but I don't think it's completely unrealistic for him to do, you know, and even to view the opportunity of like, let me go back and kind of raise AEW up a bit. Like I could see that being appealing to him, especially if if money is equal from both sides. But we'll see. I think TKO is going to make a strong push. They might even offer him the biggest contract that they've ever offered anyone, given just the money that's kind of floating around and how back and forth and adversarial it is in this free agent landscape that we've been talking about. How you know both sides are doing all they can and pulling out all the stops to sign these big stars. But I don't know, man. We'll see. I'm glad we're both on the Cody train. Oh, yeah. um, I think he's great, and uh, would, would love to have him back. Um, now we're gonna have we reached out for mailbag questions. Yes, we actually got two. We're gonna do yes. one right now. The other yep. one's gonna be a little bit later when we uh, talk about some um, just some of the best matches, listener picks, all that stuff. Um, so we got an email from Danny. Yes, um, that's our guy. Yeah, Danny is top notch. Um, so he said, uh, sent us an email. He was the first one. He said, hey, guys, here's your Xmas present. Apparently, Drew McIntyre is a free agent after WrestleMania. Would you want him in AEW after that? And if so, who would you want to see him feud with? 
So I will allow you to go first with this one. Okay. Well, shout out to, uh, I think it's at Midasum on Twitter, but he's an awesome wrestling and Blue Jays follow. Mm -hmm. Um, He likes a lot of my tweets, so I think Danny's great. Um, And I like (laughs) a lot of his tweets too. He's he's a top-notch guy. He's awesome. So thank you for the question, Danny. Our first ever email in the history of the show was from Danny. So you're an absolute hero. Um, I think it's an obvious yes for me. Um, and I'm interested in what you're going to say about it too. But, you know, when we talked about in our last episode that especially, you know, Adam Copeland really represented like some kind of shift in the guys that they sign, at, at least in part of he is, he was a WWE only guy. Mm-hmm. And so this was the, Adam Copeland was the first guy that they signed that really didn't have a background in TNA or new Japan or ring of honor or anywhere else. And I think you, you have to be careful and we'll talk briefly coming up about some of these non-compete um, clauses that are expiring or already expired on December 21st. And some of those guys that got released. And I think you have to be careful about the, impression that we're bringing in too many AEW guys at or WWE guys at the expense of some of the homegrown talent. But to me, Drew McIntyre is someone that you make an exception for. He's a top guy. He was, uh, has a great look. He can go in the ring. His in-ring style would fit in perfectly with, you know, the big pay-per-view matches that AEW likes um, putting on. He's someone that helps as you try to expand into Europe and the big, they got another big Wembley show that they've already sold thousands of tickets for. Like to me, he would be a perfect fit. He can promo too. So to me, it's an obvious yes. Now, when it comes to, you know, the Dolph Ziggler's of the world, I think that's maybe a little bit different and we'll talk about them in in a bit. But for me, that that's such an obvious main event, top guy player like Drew McIntyre, that kind of concern about, is he, is he going to give too much of a perception that we're pushing and giving these big money to WWE guys? I wouldn't worry about that with a guy who is as good as Drew McIntyre is and has, and that you could immediately put him into a top position and it would feel, it would feel right to me and that he would fit in and he would do well. Okay. So now we have talked like, uh, this is the start of my point, but we have talked quite a bit about, you know, previous wrestlers and kind of having you know like if they get released um kind of having to wash off the wwe from them to get back out there create themselves reinvent themselves now i don't think that drew would have this problem but my answer for if i would like to see him in AEW right away no i would like to see him go and i would like to see him have a run in new japan first I think that he would be massive in New Japan, but you send, he goes there right after WrestleMania. He shows up. I would have him be a part of the Wembley show as you start incorporating him more because you could have him show up at Forbidden Door. You could even just have him show up there. He doesn't have to be announced or anything. You could have him wrestle a match at All In and slowly integrate him into the New Japan AEW universe because it's sort of what they did with Will Ospreay in a way, you know, like had him show up, wrestled some stuff. Eventually he came over. So I would love to see him in AEW, but I want to see him have a run in New Japan. I think that he is already a star, but I think having a run there would solidify him even more into like the next echelon of talented wrestlers, like just the way that he's perceived by the public almost. So would I want him in AEW? Yes, but I want to see him do a run in New Japan first. I love that. And if you go back to 
like Brody Lee and Rusev, there were, or Miro, there were some rumblings around that time that they were supposed to do that too, but the pandemic got in the way. Like if you remember that Brody actually came in, he was supposed to debut in Rochester, which was his hometown. And Mm -hmm. it was right. It was March, 2020. And then the pandemic hit and then the poor guy had to debut in um, Daly's place to, you know, no fans, but the working plan was my understanding anyway. And could you imagine Brody Lee in new Japan? Like he would have been fucking the second coming, obviously the name, but like bruiser Brody and he would, he would have fit in and he was starting to do some of that stuff at ringside where he was like kicking the fans and throwing chairs. And I remember watching the the match that you mentioned already against Cody and just thinking like, fuck, this guy would have been incredible in new Japan. Mm -hmm. I was this big guy, Jin, you know, foreign guy coming in and just fucking shit up. And Drew, I, I love your idea. Um, and I think Drew is like also deceptively enormous. Like he he's fucking huge. And he would he would kind of fit that profile of like big international guy just going. And I, I love how I, I haven't seen a ton of his work, um, admittedly, but he's got kind of that strong style, um, stiff like type of match that would fit in New Japan and fit in AEW. I love that idea. I just think, you know harkening back to some of the things we mentioned before about like Okada, Mm -hmm. I just think the money is going to be like, if you can't pony up for some of these big guys, like new Japan would have, I think trouble. Like you, if you are going to go on a new Japan excursion and you're a top guy, it's because you want to, not because the money is going to be equivalent. Right. So I just, I love that idea. And I think, um, you know, what a coup that would be for new Japan. And for the same reasons, like I think it would make even, I think it would make Drew McIntyre feel cooler to like the AEW audience if he went and did something like that yeah. first. So it's not, it's not it, I, like you say, not that he needs it necessarily, but it would help wash off some of the WWE stink. And then it wouldn't even be like necessarily here's another WWE guy that we're bringing over and putting in a top spot. But it's like, he's, he's kind of got this cool factor from new Japan and then we're bringing him in. I, I love that idea. I don't, I don't really see it happening just because of the money stuff, but I would, I would love it. I would love it. Cause like you have him show up after uh, his WrestleMania, whatever his contract's done, you have him show up. Maybe he appears at forbidden door and then he can enter the G one. And last year we saw that, you know, Hey, they sent over Eddie Kingston. You could send over whoever, whether it's Claudio, anyone have them in the G one this year have drew in there that sets up a feud you cap that off at uh all in so there oh you my go God. Like, i love it just think how great drew versus toruiano would be and, and plus everyone would love to see drew <laughs> just shit kick evil so i mean come oh on. yeah like it would be great it would be great i would love it the second part of danny's question i guess we, you mentioned some of the new japan guys so he just mentioned who would you have him work with um out of the gate if he did jump to AEW. um is there anyone that stands out to you that like from an AEW perspective of like, if I had, the, if he was just going to jump or maybe even um, uh, you could use your own new Japan to AEW scenario. Is there some guy that kind of sticks out right away as like, here's the guy that I would put him in, in AEW specifically. Like for if, if uh, I'm, I'll go with the new Japan first. Like if say he signs with new Japan, like, you know, that's what I want. First person, I'm having him feud with the Shingo because I want to see those two just beat the tar out of each other. Two big guys who go hard, they hit hard. That's what I want to see. If he's showing up in AEW, that's tougher because, I mean, the size disparity is going to be massive with everybody there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the first person that I think of, like, 
because I don't want him showing up dwarfing everyone. And then it's like, well, how do you, to me, that's going to like affect how I perceive the feud. So I sure. almost need like the first feud to be like, Hey, have him against say the house of black, you know, him and Brody King going at it or him and Malachi black. Like to me, I'd be a hundred percent into that. So like power, if, power for power. Yeah. Just Claudio, Claudio could work maybe along that same kind of line. Yeah. Claudio um, could work there. There's guys that you could plug him in with that. The feud wouldn't be as like, you wouldn't question it as much. Yeah. I almost like Brian Danielson as kind of part of my thinking for maybe the match with Danielson is that of course you have him on a limited time frame here uh, in terms of full-time uh, work. So if I, if I'm Tony Khan, I'm thinking, okay, I have Drew McIntyre, but I only have Brian Danielson full-time for a limited amount of time. That's a match that I probably want to book. And I even like the idea of like Brian Danielson being the gatekeeper of AEW. Like, Hey Drew, you're like, I, I used to be in your position. I was jumping from WWE to AEW. Well, you don't, you, you know, you don't know what it's like quite yet, but it's, you know, it's different here. It's harder here. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and like kind of set it up that way of like, uh, Danielson being the gatekeeper for AEW and testing him right away, and Danielson could put him over with you know no no problem, and it wouldn't hurt Danielson at all. And so I kind of like that idea of mm -hmm. uh, McIntyre and uh, Danielson maybe being the first program, but we'll see. Uh, again, he's a guy that man, if WWE lets him go, like that would be a, that would be a pretty big shock. He he's one of their biggest stars, so I would yeah. love it. I'm sure Tony Khan would have interest. But we'll see. His contract's coming up around WrestleMania time, as Danny said in the email. At least that's what Dave Meltzer has reported. Yeah. Um, now, he is he said in promos, I, I guess there's some kind of family issue or some health issue with his mom or, or something. It might not be his mother, but there are also some kind of rumors that maybe he'd want to go back home and, and spend some time over there um, as he's making whatever this next big decision is. Um, but I'd love to see him in AEW. I, I, for all the reasons that, that we talked about he would he'd be like a, a no-brainer for me mm -hmm. um now his contract supposedly up coming up next year 20 september 21st we saw the another batch of wwe releases some big names in there i mean you had your dolph ziggler's you had uh Al mustafa ali shelton benjamin uh, a plethora of others unfortunately now, this past week, Mustafa Ali, he's doing his world tour, some incredible matches uh, already announced for that. And I will do a shameless plug here. If you are interested in where he's going to be on the indie scene, make sure you check out um, my streaming for exposure with my good buddy Plugo. That's every weekend. We just talked about everywhere he's going to be. Some great matches already announced. So Ali's he's cooking. He's he dropped a promo, which was fantastic. Just it's something it's almost a master class in what you should do if you get released and want to pre like present yourself instead of just taking like booking, booking, booking and then going. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's done that. The Ziggler's already started taking independent showings. Shelton Benjamin, he's putting himself out there. So I mean, do you see any of the September crop? showing up oh matt riddle signed with mlw there we go um do we see any of these september crop showing up in AEW? i have my thoughts on this but uh what are you thinking what are your thoughts um i when they initially got released i thought it was would pretty much be locks that ziggler and ali would come in um and there's been reports uh that 
there are people in AEW pushing really hard for Ziggler to be brought in. And of course, there's a lot of XWD guys that have relationships with him, and he has a good reputation as a worker and I think as a backstage guy. I wouldn't, I, I've gone kind of back and forth on this, but Ziggler would just be a guy I wouldn't bring in. And I also think there's a chance Scott Demore recently uh, for part of that big uh, TNA rebranding in that big show. I think Okada is on that the show, um, but they're whatever the the new. I think it's hard to kill um, is kind of the relaunch of TNA in, yeah. in January. And Scott Demore has teased that there's a big signing that they're at the goal line of finalizing the contract of a, of a new big signing in TNA. And I, if I had to guess, I think that's going to be Ziggler. Mm-hmm. So I had thought all along that he would get to AW, but I could also see for a guy like him that, I mean, he's got enough money in the bank account for generations. Like he's made big money in WWE for years and years and years. Um, but he's kind of like in the mold of, like I'd said before, where in has been essentially WWE lifer. And he would just be kind of perception wise, the guy that I, I just wouldn't bring in. Um, and because if I'm Tony Khan, I'm just thinking if I am bringing him, him in, there's just so many other guys that like he's not going to be a business difference maker. He's just he he's not going to be that. He's he's never proven to be one. And so what is it worth the television time that I would be giving him? Even though he's a good worker, he's a bumping machine. Like I I used to be a big fan of his when I actually did watch WWE years and years ago. But to me, it's just it wouldn't be worth it because of kind of the spotlight that he would necessitate um in terms of guys you know if he has a spot then that is hypothetically blocking a spot from somebody else yeah um so i wouldn't bring in ziggler even though i've come up with some like maybe creative ideas that he could be used for um previously but i just wouldn't do it i think he's probably going to sign with impact ali would be an absolute slam dunk yes and i i feel like he's someone who in the same vein of like a Swerve Strickland who you could just tell how creative he was. And you've, you're seeing that now in AEW where these guys have so much creative freedom to come up with their own ideas and pitch it and then have like, they're the creative forces kind of behind it. Obviously Tony Khan oversees everything, but the talent in AEW gets so much input into what they can do. And as you said, he's knocking it out with the, these vignettes and videos that he's already posting. Like to me, he just comes off as such a creative guy who was, whose creativity was stunted in WWE who had no idea what to do with them. A guy who has a pretty long list of even in a WWE environment where the kind of ceiling of what your in-ring output is, is capped just because the style that they have is um, I don't think very good Um, that he had some impressive showings. He's a creative guy. If I'm Tony Khan and he's still young, I think mid thirties or maybe late thirties now, like where you could bring him in, in a way that like Swerve now just feels like an AEW guy, right? Yes. Like he's just, and he feels like he's the next top guy. I, I love everything that they're doing with him. Just the expectation that I think he's going to be world champion in, in 2024. It feels kind of like a lock. And I just feel like Ali has the chance to, now it would be hard to do. It's not, I don't want to make it seem e- like Swerve, what he's doing now is easy. He's What he's doing is kind of exceptional and difficult to, you know, pitch you know, an idea and then get to do it and deliver it on the level that he is. But he just feels like a guy that with the WWE creative handcuffs taken off, that he could have like a swerve, like Ascension in an AEW because he's got, he can promo. He's got the in-ring stuff. He's creative. He'd be an absolute yes. Now, as you said, he's kind of got this world tour book. So it seems like 
he's probably not going to be brought in right away. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's good for the same reason I mentioned with Drew McIntyre before that. It's not like let's, you know, we're not bringing a guy in directly from WWE, but he's learning how to get over and all these other promotions all around the world. And then when we do eventually bring him in, it's like maybe he's unlocked another kind of level to being a star and being a worker in this world that when we bring him in, he's going to be even better than if we had just brought him in directly. So Ziggler, I wouldn't bring in. Ollie, I would on whatever, whenever he wanted to come in after he's doing whatever, would be happy to have him. Shelton Benjamin, I wouldn't, but like as a a mid-card guy that can put over other guys, sure, he used to have a tag team with Lance Archer and they haven't really been doing much with Lance Archer, which I think is a shame because he's awesome. Um, They could kind of be using him in the same way that they are Brian Cage right now as like this big guy that they can just, as I think they used to, you know, heat him up for like a television program with someone he can put over a top guy and then have him sit at home for a couple of weeks and then bring it in and kind of do it again. But um, I think Ziggler and Ali are kind of like the big names from that, those September releases. And th- th- that's where I sit with those guys. I know I, sorry, I ended up talking way too long there. And oh, you, no. you mentioned that you had some opinions on this. So I'm very interested in hearing what, uh, what, what your take is. You pretty much, like hit it out of the park with that i mean ziggler i foresee him being a tna guy working indies he's got his stand-up he's got all the other things he likes to do so i mean he's set he doesn't need nor should should he be getting top money for a promotion like AEW. i mean i don't foresee him as a big time player he doesn't he doesn't move the needle at all. He's not going to be an increase in ratings he's not going to enhance any storyline that somebody else could um you Ali 100% I think he's a guy you go out of your way you bring him in I mean before Kofi Mania I mean Mustafa Ali was the guy that Daniel or Brian Danielson he was pushing for Mustafa to get that that shot and it seemed like that's the way they were going until he unfortunately got injured so I could definitely see uh Danielson pushing for Ali to show up there and I hope he I hope he gets it because there is so much to work with with Ali and he would be so beneficial having him around especially he's the kind of guy like i mean you they they're willing to bring in guys you know like you see what you have with like a miro or like an andrade like yeah they're great wrestlers but like they can also be a handful like i don't get absolutely that. i don't get that from ali and that's the kind of guy i would want to have with my company so ali yeah shelton um doesn't really do much i think he does another new japan run i think we're going to see him on the indies doing a great run um having some great matches because there's already guys who have tweeted out like i want to face shelton benjamin because i mean he's he inspired a generation of wrestlers so i'm down for that and that's kind of where i stand with it i mean top dollars doing indie bookings he showed up at gcw that fell very flat and i don't know i think you had mentioned Swerve and the sort of power that they've given him in AEW and he's knocked it out of the park. And like, while you were talking about that, like you look back and three months ago, he was one of the most hated men in wrestling. I mean, the stuff he was, he was terrorizing Nick Wayne and his family. I mean, they were going after Darby and Sting. The crowd hated him. And a few short months later, he is one of the most over people. The crowd loves him. And I'm like, Hell yeah, I want him as my champ in 2024. The the promo with MJF at the most recent Dynamite. I mean, it only solidified that I want to see those two go at it. So 
I, I could foresee a future if you sign Mustafa Ali where you can let him take that creativity and run with it and elevate himself sort of in the same way that Swerve has been able to since he showed up at AEW. Absolutely. And uh, just you mentioned Ziggler TNA thing like that's that's a great gig if you can get it like the, the guys on the kind of lower end of impact aren't making huge money. But if you if he would be get, you know, he would get paid a lot to go there. They tape like twice a month yep. and he'd get to do all that other kind of side stuff that you mentioned. Like that would be a great gig to get for. And 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 he would be like one of their top guys. And I think it would help that promotion um, get a little bit more visibility, give them some buzz as they're doing this relaunch. And uh, yeah, I I just I think uh, for all those reasons that you said, like it, it feels like. Ziggler impact Ali eventually to AEW would be great. And just to see that creativity unlocked and, you know, we're going to talk about the continental classic here in a few minutes, but like, yes. as you said, I think a big part of Swerve's baby face turn here. And it, this has been a, this has been a bad month for the AEW doesn't tell stories crowd because oh. uh, there's only been about a million different offshoot stories that have helped like everybody in this continental classic. I don't want to say too much of it now, but everybody in this Continental Classic is more over than they were when it started. And all the different offshoot stories that have happened and Swerve just kind of taking the wrestling world by storm and the AEW fan base by storm in large part, because of course the matches with Hangman, but now him being part of the Continental Classic has just like elevated him even further. And Ali is a guy that, you know, Continental Classic 2024, I could see him you know, kind of that same kind of trajectory for him. He'd be a great fit in the Continental Classic next year. You know what? We can we can segue into that. We'll go back to a couple of the other points after, but like... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, like the, the gold bracket, I haven't been able to watch as much because TSN is fucking fantastic for just putting it on <laughs> TSN Plus. Yes. One of the best things about the upcoming Canadian tour is that they'll probably show Collision again. So, I mean... Yeah. Thank you. But I mean, I was a I've been able to see clips. I've been able to stay up with it. But like I have loved the the blue division. Um, I thought like every week that's musty TV for me. I, this past week kicking things off, I think they started with uh Swerve and Roosh. Yeah. And, and like what a great way to start off a wrestling show. Like just two guys going out there putting on a fucking banger of a match for 17 minutes. Like it, this incredible is and great stuff the the stories they're telling with swerve the even with you see the elevation of a guy like roosh i mean he's gone from being somebody who has like been difficult to work with like notoriously to like he's been someone who like you want to see fo- featured on weekly programming like you already have people talking like give him an international title run let him just yeah like, make the title his oh fuck that's a great idea Mark Briscoe, I mean, he's he lost almost every match except for the, the final one. But like you saw the way the crowd was getting behind him, even in those losses, elevating yes. him to another level like the and even like I know people aren't huge fans of Jay Lethal. And like, I think he's great in ring. And like the story they're telling with him where like, yeah, he suffered those losses. He didn't have his group with him. But like. It's almost seeming like they're going to split off Jay Lethal from the 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 Jared family there, and like even that, like I'm into as like a mid level storyline. Like, why not? Yeah, they have done the Continental Classic has done a great job of 
creating almost like another tier of wrestlers where it's like on the cusp of breaking through to the main event where like if mm-hmm. you need someone in a pinch hey you could put Brody Lee in a world title title match if you want to do like a match on collision and it's not going to feel like a great disparity of placement on the card so i've loved right. everything they've done with the continental classic yeah brody brody king is a guy who this this has helped him like immensely like mm-hmm. and he's he's someone who hasn't gotten a lot of singles uh run other than like you know a i think a, a feud with darby like a year ago or whatever but mm-hmm. he's a perfect example of who this has helped and i and i know that it seems like it's kind of finally turned the last couple of days but to me people haven't been talking enough about how great this is like and you know AEW, one of the great things about it, maybe the greatest thing about it is that from a weekly television standpoint, we've never gotten like a promotion that has given us this level of quality wrestling on a weekly stage. But what the Continental Classic, this is this is the best. And again, I, I've been able to see the collision stuff. And I know um, I, I subscribe, uh, subscribe to uh, uh, AEW Plus through the Fight TV thing. Yeah. So I subscribe to a VPN so that it, they think that I'm based in uh, London, England or whatever, so that I can watch it. And I get, get to watch it commercial free, which I realize is like my own personal little cheat code um, because that's that's helped raise the quality of the show too, of not having these commercial breaks in the middle of these matches that are great. But this this is the best quality and quantity that we've ever gotten from AEW, which is already a promotion that's no, known well for its weekly um, in-ring matches. So to me, this is... This is something that's unique and special that's happening that we've never gotten in AEW before. And I feel like not enough people are mentioning it. And what the difference factor is, or the difference maker is, that Tony Khan is actually a pretty conservative booker historically in AEW in terms of giving us singles matches, star versus star singles matches. Like we historically dynamite is a lot of tag team matches and and trios matches and you put the big stars in in part to kind of protect them if when they when they lose we've never gotten and we could go through a list of like the big main event singles matches that they've done over the course of the five years that they've been around but from a week to week every single week getting singles matches with this level of star power in it and this high level quality like you said 15 16 17 there was an incredible um, draw last night on collision between Danielson and Claudio. We've never had this before. This this is AEW weekly television at its highest point. And so when I see you know the discourse around a dynamite dominated like it was two weeks ago around a shitty Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho promo, I just I'm like, you guys are fucking bearing the lead here. This is like, these are great episodes of weekly television from an in-ring standpoint in ways that we've never seen before. And again, that's not to say that you can't criticize a bad promo segment, but you know, I'm on Twitter the next day and it's like, all I'm seeing is talk about this shitty promo as if it's symbolic of some kind of creative shift in the company. It was just a shitty promo that it was designed like any other promo that there's ever been in AEW where they're taking shots at each other back and forth. They just, the, the shots fell flat. And um, anyway, so I've loved the Continental Classic. You mentioned a bunch of the different stories. You mentioned even Jay Lethal. Like, I mean, he didn't have a single bad match in the tournament and he was able to be a linchpin in Mark Briscoe finally getting the win that he had been trying to and telling the story about, yes, I've been a singles 
performer before, but he's kind of still grieving the loss of his brother. And he's, this is the first time he's ever had this extended run of single matches and he's going against the biggest stars in the industry. And he has all this ring of honor history with Jay lethal. And then that's the guy that he gets to beat at the end. It's like, this is, this is fucking storytelling, man. And it's storytelling that's through, like you can tell stories in wrestling matches. And that's what the people that always say, you know, AW doesn't tell enough stories. It's like, you can tell stories in wrestling. New Japan has done it for years. It's like, it's like the simplest stuff. You can tell stories through the matches themselves. And, um, and I just love that. I think the best story has been, you know, Eddie Kingston put his titles on the line as, as part of this. And I know the too many belts arguments and blah, blah, blah. But I think it's so fucking cool that this round Robin tournament. And, and again, we take this for granted now because it's just kind of commonplace that, AEW has these relationships with all these different companies and they've really before AEW there weren't this kind of interpromotional stuff that they really changed the game in in this way too but I just think it's so cool that it's this North American triple crown that there's a new Japan title in it there's a ring of honor world title in it Eddie put those on the lines and he comes out of the gate and he's struggling and he kind of makes his way back um, he loses to Danielson. Danielson puts the sign on his chest at the end of the match. I don't know if you, that was one that you, you might've missed because I, I the whole, that one. yeah. So there's someone in the crowd had an Eddie Kingston is a bum sign. And after Danielson beat him, he went and grabbed the sign from the audience and put it on his chest and left the ring. And now, um, they, you know, the rematch in the semifinals of, of that blue league is Eddie Kingston and Brian Danielson. And so now he has a chance to avenge that loss and avenge that disrespect um on dynamite this upcoming week and it's just like man like this is storytelling daniel garcia <laughs> has just become this like huge baby face in kind of the same ways that swerve has that you mentioned before through losing and then he finally gets his win over brody king who and brody king had been a monster at the start of this and had been even you know had the most points in the blue league at one point and then get danny garcia or danny garcia sorry gets that big win at the end against this monster and it's like this this is what it is all about. This is the I I just I want to I know I'm kind of going off here, but I just can't express enough how I think this from a weekly standpoint, this is the best that AEW has ever been from an in-ring quality for sure. But then when you think of all the different stories and all the guys that have gotten elevated through this tournament, like I just think people are bearing the lead if this isn't like what they're screaming from the rooftops in terms of the big takeaway from the last couple months, I guess really month of AEW that, you know, as, as down as you want to be on the MJF and double devil stuff. And we buried that pretty fucking hard during our first episode oh, and rightfully so. But this has been for all the criticisms of that and all of them are fair, I think, but I don't think there's been an, enough like, I don't know, um, emphasizing just how good this stuff has been, even though I've seen plenty of praise for it, mm -hmm. but I think it deserves even more praise than it's getting for just how good this has been from a week to week um, standpoint. I'll make one more comment about the storytelling and then we'll, we'll move on because we got about 40 minutes to bang off. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay. With storytelling, it's like, what do you want? Like, what kind of story do you want told? Are you looking for like, this like attitude era type stuff with some bullshit implemented into the storyline. Like for me, just let people go out there and wrestle. That's what I want to see. If you can tie in something, whatever it may be, that's fine. But like, I don't need storytelling as the predominant for if I'm going to watch a wrestling program or not. Like this guy's a great wrestler. He wants to prove that he's better. That's all I need. So like, 
fuck shit or get off the pot with exactly the, the storytelling and the pe- the people who make those arguments it just it's pretty obvious you just don't like wrestling and like vince russo has said it like and he's one of the biggest proponents of it disco inferno too which like if you're on the same side of an argument as those two fucking bozos then you like just give your head a shake because you know you're on the wrong side but it's like if you're you just don't like wrestling then like like just watch some why are you even watching wrestling if you don't like it mm-hmm. like like fuck off and do something else okay um aw announced their canadian tour winnipeg's getting a show london's getting a show you grab your tickets already no i don't have them yet so i'm kind of and i think this is one of the flaws of and we don't have to spend too much time uh, on this particular one i just think it's kind of cool and interesting that they're coming back for this big canadian tour in 2024 london is a is a place that they haven't uh gone before i will be there i think uh the Zoobs and uh, uh, Ricky Hart are going to be coming with me, I think. And so uh, come by and say hi if, if you're there. Um, but um, I think what I'm, what we're p- planning on doing is waiting until the last minute to get some kind of discount offer, which, yeah. you know, the, the prices, there's actually a, one section that you can get tickets for 30 bucks and the tickets are pretty good, but some of the other um, parts of the arena, they're, they're selling it for like forbidden door prices. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I think they've got to kind of figure out that ticket pricing stuff. I'm super pumped. The Budweiser gardens where they're running the London show is like 20 minutes from my front door. So just, if you had told, uh, 2020 Jay's retro that that was a possibility I would have you know gone crazy but I'm super pumped for this tour they're selling really well in Vancouver too mm-hmm. I know you went to the last shows in Winnipeg I imagine you you've got to be going to this one. Oh yeah already grabbed tickets I mean nice I, I was scouring for the pre-sale codes so big ups to wrestle ticks for always having those so it's like three bucks a month it's worth it even just oh nice to to sign up just to get the ticket code for like the show you want to go to just to make sure you get it um yeah grab seats i think we're eighth row on the floor or fourth row on the floor i don't know we're on the floor um not as good as seats as last time but like uh, you know it was great experiencing that being right at the railing but like i just wanted i basically just wanted to be in the the building just to have a good seat i'm set you know so i'm happy with it i'm looking forward to it tickets they're middle of the pack right now i think they've sold about two twenty five hundred three thousand yeah um that's about what the London show is at. And frankly, London's a tough draw. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is actually, that's more tickets than I thought they were going to sell. I went to a, a TNA house show years ago in London. Now it was TNA, but they had like Kurt Angle was advertised and some other guys and it drew like really poorly. But I think what's helping this show in London specifically is that it's a television taping. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been a television taping at that building in London. I went to one, it was the SummerSlam in toronto that was chris benoit and randy orton in the final so we're obviously going back years and years and years but they did raw the next night in london and i was at that one i think that might be the last time they did tv in this building Mm -hmm. so wwe comes about once a year to do a house show in london but they haven't done a television taping in years and years and years and i think that's part of why the the tickets are selling way better than i thought they would at this point so it's already a success in my opinion i do want it before we get into uh our, oh crap oh my god we do have a lot to talk about still yeah. our matches of the year and a quick uh we, we rundown of to, we might have to skip wrestle kingdom yeah we might have to skip wrestle that, that's fine okay. um i did want to mention the sting retirement thing yes, yes. they've they've sold about already like thirteen thousand tickets to yes. that this feels so huge i can't wait for this show we spent a lot of time talking about it in the last episode so we don't have to spend too much time on it but i did want to mention that w- one of the things i had mentioned before was sting had mentioned in a piece a feature piece on him in the ringer last year that he didn't want to have a singles match that 
he'd be going out with Darby as a tag team partner. We talked about that last time. We talked about some different possibilities for tag team matches. And I had made mention of too, like, I think he should win. Um, and that you go out on top with the fans behind you. They're super excited. Um, but I've kind of changed my mind on that under the condition. If, if Samoa Joe beats MJF for the world title at world's end, which I think is a possibility. And we'll talk about that. Hopefully if we don't run out of time, um, <laughs> If I were booking this now, I would do Sting and uh, Samoa Joe for the world title at Revolution. I just think there's no, like, two of my favorite wrestling matches of all time, probably two of my top three, are Hogan and Rock at WrestleMania and Tanahashi and Ibushi at the 2018 G1 Climax Finals. And two wildly different matches. Uh, But the story behind them of, like, this old gunslinger trying to prove that he still has it, there is like no story in wrestling that I think and as I get older, I can uh, uh, relate to it more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think there's any better story in wrestling than you can do in with that. And the idea of in front of what I think is going to end up being probably close, maybe close to 20,000 people. There's still several months to go to sell tickets. They're purposely scaling down some of the staging to fit as many people in there as they can of like having potentially 20,000 people rooting on Sting, the old gunslinger, to be the world champion one more time against Samoa Joe, who could kind of, we talked before about, you know, would he be overexposed in a one-on-one match? But Joe was the kind of methodical, slower-paced guy. They could do the gimmicky outside-the-ring stuff um, to kind of hide some of his weaknesses, where I think it would be a, a passable match. The atmosphere of the crowd would make it work. And just the idea of like convincing yourself that, oh, maybe Sting, our guy, could win the world title in his last match is, I don't know. I think out of all the kind of ideas that I've thought about um, up to this point, that's the one that at this point in time, maybe it'll change in January when we record again. But that's kind of the one that I'm hoping for now, um, just because I think from a draw standpoint and just imagining just the Greensboro Coliseum with all those people just rooting on Sting, trying to win the world title one more time, I think would be a great story and a, a great way to go out. Uh, I would be, I'd be okay with that. I think that would work very well. And even if you know that like the chances, like Sting's chances are like zero to none, almost that like he would be victorious because he's not going to win. And then, you know, vacate the title because he said it was going to be his last match. I think that the crowd would still be ridiculously into it just because of the story they could tell. Um, yeah. I can't remember who kicked out the idea and I wish I would have, it might've been Danny. Um, but I'm not positive about possibly having like edge turn heel and join up with Christian and do yeah. edge and Christian versus sting and Darby. And that's I love that all, too. all I can fixate on. I think that'd be a perfect way you could, you know, you'd have a te- an actual tag team and I'm going to get into this later when we preview world's end and talk more, but like an actual tag team, facing off against Sting and Darby. And I think it would just be a great match, a great swan song for Sting. And he's never had a tag match against those two. So I I would love that idea. So that's... that's I really like that idea too. I like that idea too. Um, All right, let's do... So we had originally... Maybe we should just do... Should we just do our top three AEW matches of the year instead of doing 10? Yeah. And then that, that. That, that, that'll that save a little bit of time. And then because we did... We did promise to read off our listener picks too, and they were only doing three. So we could just, we could do our top three and then just 
throw in some honorable mentions or whatever or what do you want to do oh no that works for me i've i think i screenshotted almost all of them do we want to do the listener ones first and then we'll give ours um or you want to give ours first um let's do let's do the listeners first i have i have them up here too um um so at uh hey my name is will he he sent us one and uh his three uh danielson mjf the iron man match uh hangman swerve texas death and Kenny and Will Osprey from uh, Forbidden Door 2. Honorable mention of FTR versus Jay White and Juice. And uh, he had Wrestler of the Year as Brian Danielson. Great picks. Hey, my name is Will. What a great follow on Twitter. Smart guy. Awesome guy. Um, big shout out to Will. Um, at Torque Penderloin. I know you were excited to say Torque Penderloin on the... Yeah, let me say it. Torque okay. uh, Torque Penderloin. Uh, his, his picks, uh, some incredible matches here. The Swerve Hangman, Texas Deathmatch. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Brian Danielson. Yeah, I love that pick. And Osprey Omega, he has the first one down. So Yeah, technically, um, I mean, within the AW universe. Yeah, um, that, wor- that works for me. Yeah, and then um, his, ma- his rest of the year was Brian Danielson too. Yeah. And I think great picks. Again, uh, if you don't follow Torque Penderline on Twitter, he's one of the best posters out there. Uh, Huge, huge mind for the business too. Yeah, so does, shout out to him. Uh, does some great stuff over on Wrestling Brain as well. So uh, shoot them a follow and uh, check them out. Um, at Cody Blacksmith underscore, he had Hangman Swerve at Full Gear, uh, Punk Joe from All In, and OC Mox from All Out. And he has Wrestler of the Year. He's got two. He's got the male with being Orange Cassidy and female at Tony Storm. Good picks. I. I um moxley and orange cassidy was in my top 10 list at one point and then i did some uh moving around and it's just outside of it so i'm glad that he mentioned that because i thought what that was a main event that helped kind of solidify the hey we're moving past cm punk by delivering such a great pay-per-view like day after you fired him and moxley and orange cassidy just killed it in that main event at the united center for all out so i'm glad you gave that one a shout out um at brendan underscore black 65 uh his top three matches uh okada danielson from forbidden door 2 great match yep um mjf versus adam cole from all in and this one i i i love this pick uh kenny omega versus vikingo from dynamite was that winnipeg dynamite it it wasn't it was the following week oh okay yeah Um, that was that was one i had as a down ballot pick for mine mm -hmm. um so I'm glad that got a shout out to one of the best matches on Dynamite all year for yeah, sure. That that's on that was on my top ten list. So, um, and then for wrestlers of the year, he did the same. Uh, women's wrestler of the year, Tony Storm, and men's uh, Shane Swerve Strickland. Nice. Um, so then we have oh, that's a GCW thing. Here we go. Um, at Eric Hartman, goal Ricky Hart, Ricky Omega Osprey Forbidden Door. Hangman Mox Texas Deathmatch. That match does not get enough love. It's almost been forgotten about. Yeah. And Hangman Swerve Texas Death, Wrestler of the Year, Brian Danielson. Great picks. That's our guy Ricky. He likes betting on wrestling too. He's one of my, <laughs> one of the degenerates that I got in on it. At King Kong Fundy, good old Mike. Um, we got Hangman Swerve Texas Deathmatch, MJF versus Danielson, the Iron Man match. Yeah, and Omega Osprey Forbidden Door Wrestler of the Year Brian Danielson. 
Great picks. And like a lot of other people who are voting for Omega and Osprey in their top three, like Mike was there live. Um, Will was there live. Um, I don't, I don't know if it was in Torque Penderloin's uh, top, but he was there live. Ricky was there. So if you were there live, like I was, um, it's going to be in your top three. I have it in my top three as well. Yeah. Like I think being live at a show, it can almost influence your perception of the matches as opposed to watching on TV because I have one in mind that nobody else has on theirs. Oh, I I have one in my top 10 that I don't think anyone else will is um too. So um at 519 Tobias, he hit us with um Omega Osprey 2, MJF Danielson. I'm gonna assume that's the Iron Man match, and yep. FTR versus Bullet Club Gold, two out of three falls. Great choices. Yep, and I and I love. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Wrestler of the year. Wrestler of the year. Christian Cage. Excellent choice. Yeah, because honestly, and giving away a little bit here, I Brian Danielson is my wrestler of the year too, and I know he's been talked about before. I'll I'll quickly bring up his cage match once we get to our picks. But Mm -hmm. like to me, it's more about, and maybe maybe you don't have Danielson as as wrestler of the year. Um, but like to me, Danielson's number one, and and what's maybe more interesting is who's number two because I think there's a pretty big gap between Danielson and everybody else. But I think Christian is a, a really smart um, pick for potentially being number two. Um, just he's, he's on an incredible run, probably the best career or year of his career, which is saying something since I think he's 50 years old, but he's been incredible. So I really like that pick from Tobias there. And uh, last but not least, or actually there's two more because we have an email one. Um, yes. At Hudson for Hart, Omega Osprey, MJF Danielson, Swerve Hangman, wrestler of the year brian danielson yeah ethan uh snuck that one in uh last night so great picks by him he's another big blue jays fan too so thanks for ethan or to ethan for getting those picks in and then we got another our second ever email was from jay eggs one of the uh also a hero and super uh smart guy for the biz um one of one of our good friends jay eggs so what what are do you have his email there i do um so for wrestler of the year he had brian danielson and his top three matches, Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay, Swerve Strickland versus Hangman Page, Texas Death, and MJF versus Brian Danielson, the Iron Man match. You know, when you hear all these matches back and there's a lot of repetition, and even someone will like throw in one that hasn't been mentioned yet. And you're just like, man, what a promotion this is. And like from a pay-per-view standpoint, I know I've said this on previous shows. There's never been a a pay-per-view promotion like AEW in North America before. And the the consistency of the top matches, like the the amount of times that you would feel like you haven't got your money's worth after an AEW pay-per-view, like how many times has that happened? Once, twice, maybe? Mm -hmm. Most of the time when I'm done, I'm like, "That that might be the best show I've ever seen in my life. Like you get that reaction more than you do of being disappointed, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this has been, you know, with... I, I can see the criticisms of having more pay-per-views to me. It's been a, it's been a boon for them. Like it's just, you know, it, I think it's helped with the storytelling A baby, maybe uh, being able to move things along a little bit quicker, but when you hear all of these matches and most of them are from pay-per-views, but even some of them are from TV, like the FTR was from collision, the, the two out of three falls, the Vikingo and Omega match was from um, dynamite. Um, but most of these are pay-per-view matches and man, you get your money's worth like their AW pay-per-views rock so much. And 
So we'll talk about World's End here um, in a little bit, but we have our own picks to do. You you give us your picks first. You start do, us off. You want three or the full 10 pack? Because I can do three of my favorite that have not been said. Oh, well, yeah, let's do do that then. And then I'll, okay. I'll, me- I'll mention three that I'll mention three of mine that haven't been said to actually here. Why don't you give us your actual top three and then give us the ones that haven't been said so that they, you can have yours stand out a little bit okay. too. So, I mean, cause we, we have 10 and I put yep. mine in no order, but I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, top three matches this year, uh, Osprey Omega forbidden door, the Texas death match between hangman and um, swerve. And actually, the other one I have up there, I liked it more than, uh, it's not one of the three alternate ones, but I liked it more than uh, Danielson MJF was Blood and Guts. I love oh. what they did with it, um, but that's not one of my three other ones, but I thought it was a great match. So that's what I had for my top three. And wrestler of the year, I put Orange Cassidy because I thought, oh, that, I thought wow. he elevated the international title. He he delivered every single match so i uh, without it the like i i know gunther's wwe run for intercontinental title it gets so much love but i feel like what people think his run is is the run that orange cassidy had with aew nice i love that i think he's someone that's a great pick he's not my pick i i, I mentioned danielson before mm-hmm. he'd be my number two um, I was maybe not giving enough credit for that international title run, which I loved so much. And I think even when, again, you might've had some criticisms of some of the other stories that were being told in AEW, being able to count on, uh, an excellent or a good to great or excellent orange Cassidy international title match has been one of the pillars of AEW this year. I think that's a great pick. Mm-hmm. And then my three that, um, nobody has said. I've got from the Winnipeg Dynamite, because I mentioned being live, I feel like can totally change your perspective of match. The Elite versus House of Black versus the Jericho Appreciation Society and the Triple Threat Trios match. Cool. Because that arena was going fucking um uh going fucking bananas for Jericho and um Omega in the ring together. It, it was just a sight to behold two Winnipeg legends sharing the ring like that. Um, so that's one of them. I have the match seven from the best of seven, the Escalera de la Muerte, the elite versus death triangle, because I know the elite gets a lot of hate, but I am a big mark for the young bucks. I want to talk about them more later. I love that match. And I love anytime the young bucks and Lucha bros are in a match together. And I had um, Takeshita versus Omega from all out um it was a great match doesn't really get the respect it deserves so that's up there and i'm throwing an honorable mention for top flight and action andretti versus uh commander penta and vikingo because that match fucking ruled. <laughs> that so, is that is just so your shit that's oh, what yeah. that's what the trio title should be is those matches like we should be just getting like these lucha inspired and even like just bring in a bunch of luchadors you have a bunch under contract but bring in others and just have those kind of high spot lucha matches all the time in the trios division like that's what it should be i'll, I'll give more feel, feelings on that when we hit world's end but uh give me your three three and um your oh your wrestler of the year is uh, danielson sorry yeah so the wrestler of the year danielson like and part of that too and this will come up in one of my matches in the top three but i think and i mentioned this earlier i think it was so important to 
that he came back from injury at the essentially he just replaced CM Punk, right? Like Punk got fired. There's all of the everything that kind of surrounded that um, for AEW, and to be able to just say, okay, Danielson's back from injury, and essentially plug him into Punk's spot and have him carry Collision. Like I, I just have his cage match up here. Like we had the Claudio match last night, the Brody King match. These are all um, Cutno Classic match. Garcia, Andrade, Eddie Kingston. Then the t- previous to the Continental Classic, the matches against the tag match against Okada and Orange Cassidy, um, the match with Andrade before that where he got injured, the main event of Collision against Christian, the match against Swerve, which was head to head with NXT, the Zack Saber Jr. match with uh, which Torque Penderline had in his top three, that was at Wrestle Dream, um, and then the Texas Death match against Ricky Starks, which was on Collision in the main event. I'm skipping over stuff here, but yeah, I'll, there's I'll tag tie- matches. Yeah, there's tag matches. matches. Um, what I'll do, I'll just stop here. But like, that's just in the last, like, that's just in September. And we were getting that from Brian Danielson on weekly television and pay-per-view. But the match that I'm going to have as my number three match of the year was the strap match against uh, Ricky Starks at All Out. And I just thought for the reasons I said, like him being able to go in there and just like, they just beat the hell out of each other. And it felt very much like, and this was really the story of the match, but it felt like what was actually happening too um, was that like Danielson was forcing Ricky Starks to elevate. Like he was just beating the shit out of him so hard that it was like, you have to be strong and you have to come back from this. And I just loved that story of just him, like essentially just beating the shit out of Ricky Starks and forcing Ricky Starks to elevate his game. And again, when, when I'm rating like these, my matches of the year, and there's going to be a couple where this apply to like kind of the backstory and the atmosphere and the context of them like I, if I need, if that's, what's going to push you just slightly ahead of maybe something that even might've been maybe better in ring, whatever that might means, but like kind of the atmosphere and the context pushes it into, and, and the emotion of it yeah. gives it the edge for me. So that match, that strap match it all out is my number three um, hangman swerve at full gear is my number two. And then my number one is Omega and Osprey at forbidden door. And I think I might've said this on our last episode, but I have never been other than Hogan and rock at the sky dome. I've never been to a match where the collective will of the audience was trying to push for there to be one specific winner more than that. The crowd was behind Omega to win in his home country against Will Ospreay, who did such a good job in that match playing the heel was doing like the, the Shawn Michaels gimmick of like wiping the Canadian flag on his dick and whatever. (laughs) And like, he, he was so awesome. That match is so great. It, It was my clear AEW match of the year. Um, I number four, I'll just mention a few that hasn't been mentioned. I have Jericho Osprey for all in as my yeah. number four. And I don't think that one's been mentioned by anybody yet. Um, another one that wasn't mentioned by anybody. I, uh, number seven for me was Danielson and Roosh from dynamite, um, which was another match that pe- people just kind of forget, but it was pretty much the exact same. If you remember jungle boy and Roosh and all the criticisms for that match about how Roosh was, you know, this guy was going to be main eventing a pay-per-view and was taking too much offense. Yeah. It was the, the Danielson match was the exact same story and Roosh was just like beat the shit out of Danielson as a lead up to the Iron Man match. And it was great storytelling and a great match. And I love what you said earlier about Roosh and potentially him being the one to dethrone Orange Cassidy for the international championship. Can you imagine Orange Cassidy against Roosh. And I, I guess maybe they have actually, have they done that before? I think um, they may have. Done I think they may have, yeah. but that, that would be the guy to me. Um, um, Sting and Darby against Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara is my number eight. That is from the Dynamite in Hamilton that I went to. 
where Chris Jericho stole a Pringles can from Ricky Hart um, right <laughs> next to us. And so being there, I before this year started, I was like, I need to see Sting live before he retires. Um, I got to do that in Hamilton and that Forbidden Door too. Last last one, I'm mentioning four additional ones, so sorry. But uh, okay. the, the FTR Punk against a Bullet Club and Joe on the first episode of Collision and just kind of, that's my number nine pick. And Punk being back and the excitement for it, how red hot the uh, United Center was for that match. And just like the the excitement about here's a new show and they're building around Punk and Punk is back. He's back for the first time in like 10 months or whatever just kind of that atmosphere and context that puts it in my top 10 list of, and that's one that hasn't been mentioned yet, but what a year for AEW. Danielson's my wrestler of the year for all the reasons I mentioned before, but I think Orange Cassidy is a great pick. I've got a bunch of other honorable mentions that I won't go through here, um, but man, what a promotion this is from an in-ring standpoint, especially um, we could go on and on talking about all these great matches from the year, but just like, incredible thank you for all the people who uh, re- replied on twitter for those and, and sent in emails too like some great picks we've obviously have some very smart uh fans of the show um 100%. so there it is um before we hit up world's end i looked at orange cassidy's defenses he faced roosh in a triple threat match with when 10 was also involved but that was oh that's very- what it was very early on in his reign uh, to the point where it was actually in 2022. So you could run that back now and it'd be a blast. But um, World's End is uh, under a week away and I think we have four matches announced and I am I have a lot to say about the tag titles right now. Well then Uh, do it. Let's start with that one. You start us off. Talk about the tag title match. So Ricky Starks and Big Bill. I love both those guys. But you know what? They are not a tag team. They are not an established tag team. And your their challengers are Chris Jericho and a mystery department because Kenny Omega, Diverticultus, uh, hopefully he will get better soon and we see him back in a ring. So now we're having Jericho and a mystery partner. You have so many incredible tag teams just sitting there, not doing anything. Hell, you have the acclaimed who are the trios champions. Get those titles off of them. Let them just run Max and Bowens as a tag team. You do not need Billy Gunn to complete a trios. You could have easily had Top Flight and Action Andretti win the titles last night, put acclaim back in the tag division, and and let Andretti and Top Flight run the trios division with 15-minute, 10-minute banger matches against other luchadors, other fast, high-paced wrestlers. Lord knows there are a lot of them on the roster. So that's the trios division. Get the titles off the acclaimed. Enough of that already. They are over, but they are not as over as when they were champs. So let's be done with that. Get the titles on an actual tag team again. I don't care if it's House of Black... I don't even care if it's FTR and I'm not even the biggest FTR fan, but get the titles on a tag team. You have the young bucks sitting there. And I know, I think it was cozy super kick. He tweeted out that like they're primed to have a massive 2024, just put the titles back on them and let them have banger matches again in that division. Because I mean, you know, them and FTR would whip, you know, them and Lucha bros, you could run that again. They've incorporated so many more tag teams run those matches but 
I am so done with this tag division and how it's being portrayed right now. It is such an absolute waste of the incredibly talented wrestlers they have signed under contract right now. I'm sorry. I had to get that off my chest. No, I'm, I'm with you. And I think that's probably one of the weak points of AEW right now is the tag team division. And I think, and rightfully, and you had mentioned how, how awesome it was in Winnipeg to have Jericho and Omega team together. And obviously now, you know, I think some people were like, oh, well, you know, we've been begging for kind of a Kenny singles run. I was like, it's, it's this great, unique thing to do in Winnipeg. It made all the sense in the world to do it there. But I think, you know, Jericho and, and uh, actually, I, li- I like the idea of Jericho in, in a tag team. And I, I even like the Golden Jets, I think, more than others. But we need singles Kenny, too, just to kind of add to some of, you know, your discussion of people who are maybe misplaced in roles that they shouldn't be like put, you know, we need Kenny singles run. Yes. Um, I, you know, this, this clearly this Ricky Starks and big bill stuff came together last minute. I think it was pretty clear. And I think Dave Meltzer even reported it that if you remember back, the young bucks were actually the number one contenders for the tag team titles. They lost that at full gear to Jericho and Omega. And originally the plan was to do, to run back FTR and the young bucks at full gear in LA as a rematch to the all in match. And presumably the Young Bucks were going to win the tag titles in LA. That's their home state. They're from California. So something something went on there. Um, my guess is that FTR didn't want to lose them again. So they dropped them to Big Bill and uh, Starks first. I don't know that, obviously, but it feels right. Um, my actually my idea for the Bucks, and I know I, I think I had floated to you the idea of doing Bucks and Ziggler as a six-man tag. Yes. I actually love the idea of the Bucks and Jack Perry as a trios and just leaning into the heel um, anti-punk stuff. And if you're going to try to build a trios division around more of like a Lucha infused high spot, top flight stuff, getting the young bucks and Jack Perry, who are very much of that ilk um, as like maybe even the champions of that division. That's, that's what I like, but I I'm with you Um, in terms of like our predictions for this match. Like we don't know who the, mystery partner is for Chris Jericho. I think it's going to be Kota Ibushi. That's who I think too. Yeah. And so I, I would guess, I don't actually, um, I don't have the betting odds for this one because they're not posted. There's actually only betting odds for two matches. They had previously had the betting odds for when Kenny Omega was the partner. And I don't, I don't remember what it was, but uh, Starks and Big Bill were the overwhelming favorites. And that's, I imagine that that's the way it's going to go. And then I'm with you. Like once they get past this and they, they beat Jericho and presumably Ibushi, Let's let's get the tag titles on. Uh, let's get the tag team division back uh, cooking again. And I've been like, I love the Young Bucks, but I've even been like, you know what? It's okay if they're not around. It gives other teams a chance to like take the ball and run with it. But if this is what they're going to do, then just put the titles on them because I mean, it's it's a waste right now. And I, I after we mentioned after you mentioned Kota Bushi and him being a tag partner, I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, who else could they run in that that would like work and be a surprise and i'm like you know what i'm sure landstorm could still go so like reach out and see if he wants to do a one-off i mean there you go that would be cool i would yeah. like that too i don't know if, i don't know if he's in ring shape but um you never know um so yeah i mean we'll find out more i presume this week on dynamite of who jericho's partner is going to be the other matches announced so far uh we've got the blue league winner versus the gold league winner that'll be finalized on wednesday um, do you have uh who do you think that's going to be so um, so on on wednesday we have in the gold league finals it's the triple threat with um swerve and jay white and moxley and then in the blue league on the collision side 
it's Danielson and Kingston. So who, who do you see coming out of those? And what do you think this match will be, end up being? I think we're going to end up seeing Kingston versus Moxley. And me too. That, I think that's the best way, the best use of everyone involved. Um, yep. Because Kingston should not be losing the championship through a tournament like this. I think it devalues the titles if that's how he's going to lose it. Um, so Gives him I, a chance to get his win back on Danielson, right? Because he lost to Danielson earlier yeah. in the tournament. Yeah, and, and then for Moxley, he I think the reason why they're doing a triple threat or a three way, whatever you want to call it, is that he already beat Swerve once in this tournament. I don't think they wanted Mox to pin him again, which is why I think they had Jay White beat Mox on Dynamite this week, so that Jay White could get the win on Mox, get into this three way, mm-hmm. then Mox can pin White um, this week, and it's like those two they go one for one with each other, and then Mox doesn't have to pin swerve again either and it does seem like they're going to go to swerve and keith lee they haven't announced that yet but that feels like a direction for world's end too so i'm with you i think it'll be mox and kingston um in the finals uh, at world's end if it goes that way um who who do you think mox or kingston you leave it on kingston and you let him let him run i think there's still some matches as roh champion that he needs to have before he loses the title so i think you run um kingston as champ I'm with you. And also I bet on Kingston uh, as a plus 700 <laughs> uh, underdog to, to win. So I really hope that he does. Um, announced the other day was Hook versus Wheeler Yuta in an FTW rules match. Um, I was unaware what an FTW rules match is. And there there's nothing under the Wikipedia. <laughs> so I'm assuming I, I, it's like, it's a, like a, no DQ or something. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking is no DQ. But um, so yeah. they're in, they're in hooks neck of the woods, right? Cause it's in uh, long Island. And I think that's close-ish to where he grew up anyway. So I, I assume this is just a way to get hook on a pay-per-view in, in his home state or whatever. And he'll, he'll pick up the win there against Yuta. Um for announced for the AEW TBS championship, Julia Hart versus Abaddon. I like Julia Hart. I am not as huge on her as other people are, but I think she's a great wrestler and I'm not a massive, like, you know, Abaddon hasn't really done tons to, you know, show me much, but I like that she's getting an opportunity because I mean, nobody's going to grow unless you give them these chances. So, I mean, for, for Abaddon to get a pay-per-view match, a title match out of that, like that's a huge props to her, a huge props to Abaddon. So let's see what they can do. They've been able to tell a solid story between them, Sky Blue and now Thunder Rosa. I fully believe that those other two will be a part of this match, just Mm -hmm. with outside interference, whatever it may be. But like this we've talked before about like how pay-per-views they can like kind of not have the best lead up the best build, but then just absolutely deliver when it comes time for the match. And that's the vibe I'm getting with world's end. Like not huge into some of these matches, but I have no doubt that come Saturday they're going to deliver. Yeah. I think I, I that, that match doesn't really do much for me. Uh, but I will say last night on collision, Julia Hart, like, and the presentation with sky blue, they looked like stars coming out there with the whole presentation. Um, what I'm Abaddon doesn't really do anything for me. Like I, any kind of spooky gimmick like that is a turnoff for me. I've never been when I was growing up as a uh, child of the mid nineties, uh, WWF, like I was a Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels work rate nerd, even then. Yeah. And like all the undertaker stuff, even when I was like 11 or however old I would have been, I was like, what the fuck get this stuff off the TV. Um, but anyway, having said all that, um, 
a nice spotlight for Julia Hart. She's really taken like advantage of this opportunity that she's been given. I suspect that this is more of a setup to Julia Hart versus Thunder Rosa, which I think is a bigger match. Yep. And they even gave Thunder Rosa the pin on the collision match last night, which is kind of odd given that Abaddon is the one with the pay-per-view match. So it feels like this is really more of a setup for a future TBS championship match between Julia Hart and Thunder Rosa. Uh, timeless Tony Storm defending the AEW Women's Championship against Riho. I see no way, shape, or form that Riho leaves as champion, but that still does not deter from the fact that this has potential to be a very good match. Yeah, Rio's my favorite uh, women's uh, competitor in AEW. Um, the betting lines, this is one of only two matches that actually has them. They're uh, with you on this um, in terms of there being no way that they think Rio's going to win. Tony Storm is the minus 1,000 favorite, and Rio is plus 500 underdog. So if you do think that Rio has a chance of winning, putting a little bet on Rio would uh, could be something that you do, but I'm with you. I think this will be... They they put they've put so much promotional push behind Tony Storm. She's clearly like one of Tony Khan's favorite characters right now. The whole full gear match was built around like you know Tony Storm's race for the gold or whatever they called it. So I don't think they're just going to put it on her for a month to have her lose it um, the next month. I think this will probably be something that's a bit longer term. I would love to see the title back on Rio at some point because I think mm-hmm. that was the the peak of this division was when she was just going out there at the you know in the opening months of dynamite and just having great women's title matches and just getting over in all these new cities and people who had never seen her before and she just go out there and win them over through the storytelling in the ring um but uh, it's nice to have her back on tv she's been gone a long time um but i don't think she's winning um Two more left, Christian Cage versus Adam Copeland, no DQ match for the AEW TNT Championship. For some reason, I thought this was going to be a cage match, but I mean, no DQ, that could work as well. I mean, it gives them a lot more room to add other people into this match. Do you see Adam Copeland walking out as TNT champion? I'm I'm of two minds on this. In the same way that we mentioned before, um, it... I, I want I want Adam Copeland and Christian just be teaming up as heels eventually too. Um, so I'm kind of just hoping whatever outcome can kind of get us closer to that is what I want there to be. I'm leaning towards now this they don't have the betting lines for this, um, sadly. Um, but although, like you said, it is official as of last night's collision. Um, if I'm leaning one way, I think Adam Copeland wins. Um, I think it would be interesting to have him as part of the TNT title lineage, just historically for the company. And I also think it would be kind of weird for him to lose both matches to Christian cage out of the gate. Like they had the, the big match on uh, dynamite in Montreal um, a couple of weeks ago and Adam Copeland lost that one. And then that was of course the setup for um, Shayna um, Wayne to join um, Christian's group there. So it would be kind of weird, but like you said, a steel cage match would have made probably a little bit more sense in part because um, it would have kept the interference out instead of like the no DQ kind of encourages more interference, like from the heels. So I'm not sure. I, I'm a, I can go both ways in terms of where I'm going to place my bet when the betting lines get posted. We'll see. But I'm leaning towards Copeland. And to wrap things up of the announced matches, uh, AEW World Championship, MGF defending his championship against Samoa Joe. I'm ready for him to lose the title if it means we never have to see any more of this devil bullshit <laughs> again. So, hey, if that's what it'll take, strap up, Joe. I want him. I want him to win so bad. I want him to choke at MJF, and I want the devil stuff to go away. I don't think we're getting our wish on the devil stuff going away. I think 
Um, there's been rumors and rumblings that this will be the show that we get the reveal at, which if that does end up being the case, um, that makes you think that they would interfere and cause maybe cause MJF the title. Right now, MJF is the favorite betting-wise. He's the minus 180, which is only a small favorite. And then Samoa Joe is plus 140 underdog. I've been kind of waiting for it to get plus 200 so I could double my money if I bet on Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I'm kind of leaning Joe. Um, and it, it, part of that is wish fulfillment on my part because I, I want the MJF thing to go away um, and the double stuff. But there has been reported recently MJF has a torn labrum and he is also dealing with a hip injury from the full gear match with um, Jay White. If you've noticed, he's they've been very careful not to have him do anything physical, even the angle that they did a couple weeks ago where they were making it seem like Hangman Page hit him with the beer bottle. Um, they didn't show that physicality on TV. He was just laid out with the debris around him. So I do wonder if maybe he's pretty banged up and that that would be, this could be a way to kind of write him off TV for a little bit, which I think would be helpful to the character, frankly, to um, go away for a while. So I'm kind of leaning Joe, like, and that's what I'm hoping for. And, I, and I'm leaning that way too, because of the injury stuff. And if we can get to Joe Sting at Revolution for the world title, all, all the better. Uh, and I mean, I'm going to cap off what you said with, um, I know they tease Swerve MJF this most recent week uh, on Dynamite, but that little tease after of Swerve and Samoa Joe, that hit even harder than the Swerve yeah, baby. MJF tease. So I'd be okay with that. I so, would love that. Do do Joe and Sting at Revolution, Joe holds on and then strap up uh, swerve at double or nothing 100 percent. i think let's go baby great idea so um that's going to do it for us this this month because we're clocking in close to two hours so um <laughs> for myself you can find me up on all social media grain maker wrestling podcast um that's the one i use for my wrestling stuff so uh check it out and uh yourself where can they find you at jay's retro on twitter um yeah merry christmas everybody happy holidays hopefully we, this is a longer episode than we usually do but we had a lot of news to talk about and we also said like you're probably gonna have some downtime uh you, hopefully you have some vacation time here in the next couple of days we try to do these shows in a way where like you know even if you can't listen to all of it like this these news stories and kind of the free agency stuff that we're talking about for most of the podcast like i think this is pretty timeless stuff that you know you could listen to this podcast you know, and catch up on it, you know, in bits and pieces over the next couple of weeks. And I think yep. it'll still be relevant. The pay-per-view preview obviously won't be, there's a time limit on that, but we try to do these episodes in a way where, you know, you can, you can listen to this two weeks from now and hopefully, you know, most of what we talked about will still be relevant. Oh, definitely. So like you said, Merry Christmas, happy holidays. Thank you for joining us. This was a blast and uh, just stay safe out there and we'll uh, enjoy world's end. We'll talk to you next month.